0: You'll notice in your bulletin that there's been a uh, cover-up in there for the scripture this morning. Being the diligent lay leader that I try to be, I had rehearsed all week Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. My guess is Pastor Rimmer had an epiphany (laughs) and decided to change it to Matthew 2, 1 through 12. So if I stumble, bear with me, please. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has born, been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ who was to be born? They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." and frankincense, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they parted, departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, David, for being so flexible there.
1: <laughs> I've had uh, really kind of two interesting weeks of sermon prep. Last week, I preached about the incarnation, got a very strong response from a lot of people. Uh, but because of Christmas, I really didn't write that sermon. I had it laid out, and I knew what I was going to do, and then I sat down and really wrote it the day before on Saturday, and um, I hated it. Like, I, I did not like the sermon at all, all day. I was totally bothered, like, I just, this was terrible. So last Sunday, I got here early to rewrite it, and I read it when I got here, and I thought, oh, I like this. And it's a really interesting phenomenon. I had nothing to do for like a couple hours that morning because I read it and liked it. and So uh, this Sunday, I was planning to do kind of a New Year's theme of a sermon. And then I started thinking, but wait a minute, I kind of want to do a wise man epiphany sort of theme. Uh, and so in the end, I'm doing both, uh, kind of put them together and we'll see how it comes out. So but that's why the change and I'll be reading part of your original passage a little bit later on. So, this is Epiphany, and in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men come from the east, and the, the text is very specific. They, after he's born, they come from the east to Jerusalem, so they are not there that first night. The word magi is really related to the same word that we get the word magic from. Um, they're not kings. There's never listed that there are three of them in the scripture. The word magi probably means they're like Zoroastrian priests. It's, a, it's another religion uh, still practiced by some today. Um, but they're, they're very much a, sort of a st- astrologers. They're sort of reading the stars, reading the signs, very into prophecies, collecting prophecies from all around the world, paying attention to the stars. They come from the east. Uh, there's a lot of debate, like where east? There's a lot of east from there. You know what I mean? Most people think... Uh, modern-day Iraq, which means instead of coming, even though they're from the east, they would have gone around the Fertile Crescent. So they would have stayed north through Iraq and then come into Israel from the north, even though they're from the east. So depending on how they came, depending on where they're from, people have suggested their, their, their journey is anywhere from 400 to 800 miles. 400 to 800 miles. And uh, can you imagine that? And a, the, did the Bible say anything about camels? No, we always assume camels, but we have no idea. In all likelihood, they, they may have walked that 400 to 800 miles. Okay, this is a long, dangerous journey. So they see some kind of star in the sky, and they associate it with some kind of promise of a Messiah or king that's coming. In, in many of our nativity sets, it's not a star, but what? An angel. We don't know what it was, okay? There there have been a number of attempts to to say, well, it was a a comet, it was something scientific, it was a supernova, it was the aligning of planets. Um, The problem with that for me is, later in the story, it comes to rest over the house, okay? Now, if it was a perfectly clear night and we looked up at the stars, could you tell what house a particular star was over? No, and the way it seems to be traveling, to me, some kind of supernatural, uh, maybe an angel, makes more sense. So they follow the star into Israel, into the Holy Land, and then it seems like, in the story, they give up on the star. Because they don't keep following the star, they go to Jerusalem. Now, this seems a little bit weird to us, but if there was a king to be born, you would assume it would be born in the capital, And who would you assume would know about the king being born? The current king, right? King Herod. And so they go and they see King Herod. The problem is King Herod is not a very good dude. Okay, He is not a Jewish king. He's a Roman appointed king. He had to do a lot of work to to achieve his, his kingship. And so he is one of the most paranoid characters we can find in history. Okay, he built several fortresses around uh, Israel, one called Herodium, another one called Masada, a very famous one that he, had de- he developed during his time. Um, why? Because he was scared people were going to take his throne. In fact, we're pretty sure he had at least one wife executed and at least two of his children executed, and potentially more than that. Okay? Why? Because they were threats to his throne. So Herod is greatly troubled when he hears about this king that's to be born. And the text says, all Jerusalem with him. Because when Herod's upset, everybody's upset. You don't know what Herod is going to do. And so he gathers the chief priests and scribes, the experts on the Hebrew scriptures, and asks them, where is this prophesied one going to be born? They go to the book of Matthew and say, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where this child is going to be born. So Herod gathers the wise men secretly so that nobody else knows what he says. And he tells them about Bethlehem. And he says, go worship that baby. And then when you're done worshiping that child, come back and see me so that I too may go and worship this child. Okay? It's dubious, you understand. He doesn't really want to worship this child. Herod will kill this child. So the wise men go to Bethlehem, again seeming to follow the star. It's almost like they they gave up the star to go with the logic and then the logic didn't totally pan out they start to then meander their way again by the star they find a jesus he's in a house Uh, the word there is child not baby so it could be much later than when the original birth story happens we're not quite sure Um, when the star shows up? When do they show up? Uh, How long does that take? Jesus may have been up to two years old because as Herod's trying to eliminate this child, he he kills all the children under the age of two. So so we think maybe Jesus is, is up to about two years old. We don't know quite when that is, but typically we in the church celebrate it 12 days after Christmas. Hence, the 12 days of Christmas, Okay, the 12 days of the holiday of Christmas before we get into the holiday of Epiphany, uh, which I think is tomorrow, right? I think it's actually tomorrow. Okay, um, So that is where we get the 12 days of Christmas. We don't know their names. Traditionally, they're given the names that I gave to the children's sermon earlier, Casper, Malkiar, and Balthazar, three of them because of the three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And one of the things we typically do with our Christmas carols is we don't sing all the verses because some of them are long. Okay, So when we sing We Three Kings, though, okay, there may not have been three, they may not have been kings, but what the song really gets right is these three gifts. Gold. Gold is a valuable and, and precious metal. Uh, it's more accessible today than it was back then, and so back then it was very valuable, very wealthy. This would have been a king's ransom. Frankincense is a gum resin from trees and bushes, often used in religious practices. So if you go back and read the We Three Kings uh, song again, you're going to find priestly references in the verse about frankincense. It was offered in Leviticus with the bread of the presence and was put in cereal offerings. Myrrh is the oddest of the gifts. It's another fragrant gum resin from South Arabia and North Ethiopia from a tree. Uh, It's used in perfumes and in medicine, in holy anointing oil and in incense. But the biggest thing it was used for is a burial spice. So if you go back and listen to We Three Kings again, you're going to find reference to the burial spice. And in the Gospel of John, it's actually used on Jesus at his burial. So tradition says these gifts represented gold for Jesus as king, frankincense for Jesus as God, and myrrh for Jesus as the one who died. So we call it Epiphany, revealing, because these wise men are the first to sort of reveal the identity of Jesus. The shepherds come and praise him. but They don't have the insights of the wise men. And this is an important holiday for us because the wise men are also the first non-Jews, the first Gentiles to come and praise the name of Jesus. And for most of us here, they're the first among us to have a worship service. Okay? They're, they're the first. They're the leaders. Then being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they avoid Jerusalem and travel by another way home. We call them the wise men because they recognize Jesus. Because they have the foresight to understand who this Jesus is. But, But I also think we've got to call them wise because of the work they put in, right? To notice the star. To know what it meant. To then pack up and go on this long journey. To finish the journey. The perseverance to finish. The guts to start out in the beginning. In fact, for fun, we've talked about the wise men. Let me tell you about the three unwise men. We don't know their names either, but tradition gives them some names. The first unwise man was Larry. Larry lived in a neighboring town in the east to the wise men. Larry was also a magi, but he was a busy kind of guy. He was sort of starting out his own Zoroastrian priestly practice, had a lot of projects happening at home. Larry completely missed the star. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. He didn't hear it calling. He didn't do any research. He never had any itch to even pursue the star. Larry simply missed the star. Now Casper, one of the wise men, had a good friend in the same town whose name was Curly. Curly saw the star. He even had some conversations with the wise men about going on the journey. But Curly had a lot on his plate too. And Curly was not a very good planner. Oh, he wanted to follow the star, but he could never seem to get packed. He didn't know what to bring. He needed some new tires on his camel. (laughs) Curly was just so distracted that when the wise men left, he just wasn't quite ready to go. Curly saw the star, but he never pursued it. So we have the, heard the legend of Curly, the legend of Larry. Now we hear the story of, oh, oh you have heard the story of Mo before. <laughs> Mo was very close to Balthazar, and got ready and left with the wise men on the journey. In fact, he was the practical giver. Okay, the other ones had gold and frankincense and myrrh, but Mo knew what. To Families really needed. They needed towels and they needed a Walmart gift card. (laughs) But while Mo was a practical giver, Mo was not a finisher. His whole life he would start something, maybe a project or a book or a degree, and then he'd get about halfway done, maybe a little further, and then he would stop. He was a quitter. Often, if it wasn't perfect, he would stop the project. He would abandon the work. So just before the wise men finally came into the Holy Land, Mo jumped ship and headed for home. Mo saw the star, and he went after it, but he never finished the journey. Three wise men, three unwise men. Larry never saw the star. Curly saw the star, but never pursued it. Mo went after the star, but never finished the journey. Now, this is obviously fictional, right? But I don't think it's that far off the story. Because if there was a star in the sky, there were other people that could have seen it that didn't, right? How many other people gazed up at the stars, but never saw the one? Never took notice? How many others took notice, but never followed? How many other people wondered? Maybe took off a little bit in that direction, but never finished the journey and what about those scribes and high priests they're the characters in the story that drive me crazy okay they're the ones that know the prophecies they're the one that go to the book and say hey the messiah that's going to be born the king's going to be born in bethlehem and you mean nobody went to check it out for themselves None of the wise men, none of the high priests made the less than 10 mile journey with the wise men. None of, none of the chiefs, priests, the scribes went out to see if maybe, just on an outside chance, maybe. No, too many miss their moment. Too many have missed their moment. And for all those people that saw the star, or never saw the star, or never pursued it, or those chief priests and wise men, they missed out on the opportunity to praise this child. So here we are in a new year, 2020. New years, I think, are natural times in our lives to take stock, to make resolutions and plans about how maybe we can be different this year, or we can pursue something else this year. I believe God has plans and purposes for each one of us this year. He has plans for your families. He has plans for this church. Let me give you two Bible verses to help you start your new year. These are ones you might want to write down. First of all, from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 10. Good verse to reflect on as we start the year. Because it says that we aren't saved by works. Okay, Salvation doesn't come because we're good. But that God saves us. And God works in us because God has plans and work for us to do. That there's good works. There's things that God wants to do to bless this world through you this year. And that you are meant to walk in those. And that seems to imply to me that there's an off chance that you don't walk in them. there's, there's an off chance that you miss your moment. Hear these words from Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 11, another great verse for you all to think about this year. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope. That God has plans for you and I in 2020 and beyond. You know what, last year might not have been a good year for you. It was, a, it was not an easy year for me. It was not an easy year for me. But the promise of God is that he has a future and a hope that he wants for your welfare. I believe there are stars on your horizon. I believe there are stars on your horizon. I believe God has things he wants you to do, places he wants you to go, callings that he has for your life, and that you are meant to pursue those. So that in the end, when you pursue them, when all that work is done, you can worship Jesus in a different way because of all that work that went into it. I think there are stars on the horizon for your family. I think there are stars on the horizon for this church. And what we don't want to do is miss our moment. We need some wisdom. We need some guts. We need to finish those journeys. Because there are a lot of us that don't even see the stars that God has for us. We're so busy here with what we've got to get done that we don't ever look out on the horizon to see what else maybe God has for us or those bigger things God wants us to pursue. Or some of us see them, but they seem so far off and they seem like so much work, we don't even pursue them. Or how many of you know people that are starters but not finishers? You know what I mean? They'll get started on something new, okay? And they're going to diet for half of January, but they're never going to finish. Listen to this warning from Jesus in Luke chapter 14. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I think to be a disciple means to do some hard work, of planning, of setting goals, of moving into the future, of analyzing ourselves a little bit. Is there something that God wants you to pursue this year? Is there a relationship that God wants you to invest in this year? Are you packed for the journey? Or are there things you need to learn, things you need to grow at, things you need to pursue, things you need to get better at, partners that you need along the way for this journey? So plan ahead. Set goals. Analyze your life. Take seriously the idea that God has work for you to do. is often what I do, and I'm going to be doing it this week, is planning my year. What's going on? What do I need to be learning about? What do I need to be growing in? Where are we heading as a church? Where's my family heading? Are there things that we need to be working on as a family? Set some goals, some plans. I think those are godly things to do. I'll just tell you two quick things as you do those as Christians. Two things I think are a little bit contrary to what you're going to hear about when you hear about New Year's resolutions and sort of self-help is, number one, it's not self-help, right? That means that, number one, God gets to pick the star. You don't. Not about what you want. It's not about your goals. It's about God's star. What does God want to pursue? And I will warn you that in the Bible, God's stars aren't the most logical stars. Okay. God's, lo- God's things aren't the most logical things. Sometimes they're the craziest things. Okay, Adam Hamilton, who some of you have read some of his books, he, he has a rule at his church. Uh, of I can't remember what he calls it exactly, but it's like the rule of the stomach ache. That if we as a church have an idea and it makes us a little bit sick to our stomach because it's so crazy, that that really might be the idea God is calling you to. <laughs> the comfortable ideas aren't the God ideas. Those aren't the stars. So, God gets to pick the stars. And number two, God is the source of strength for pursuing. Okay? It's not about self help, it's not about your willpower. It's about daily dying to yourself and trusting God to get you there. There are stars on the horizon. Have the courage to go after them, have the wisdom to plan for the journey. Don't miss your moment. May you pursue God's calling in your life this year, and may the end of your efforts lead you to worship Jesus in even more deep and exciting ways. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.